Welcome to the B2B Category Creators Podcast, hosted by Gil Alouche, founder and CEO of Metadata.io. This podcast is all about sharing the real and sometimes edgy secrets of B2B software creation. On today's episode, we have Ilya Volodarsky, co-founder and president of Segment, and Nicholas Vandenberg, co-founder and CEO of Chili Piper. Uh, yeah. Before we start, it's very important. Do you already have your alcoholic beverages with you? Yeah! Yeah. Let's, let's fetch it. All right. Let's, let's uh, pour some. Nicholas, you seem to be very classy. You're drinking. Uh, what kind of uh, wine is it? So it's Chateauneuf du Pape. Chateauneuf is a wine from the Rhone Valley, which goes from, um, from Lyon to uh, Marseille. Very so cool. You know what Lyon uh, Yeah, Lyon, Lyon Marseille, uh, I do. Um, very nice. I remember Lyon mostly because of Monopoly, because it's one of the four uh, train stations. Uh, but Marseille, uh, I know a little yeah, bit more intimately. Yeah, you're right. Garde de Lyon. <laughs> Garde de Lyon. Ilya, what are you drinking? Uh, this is Wild Tonic Hard Kombucha. Nice. Yeah. June kombucha made with honey, organic raspberries, and goji rose. So, <laughs> wow. I love the diversity. I'm just drinking uh, bullet here. So, not oh. very sophisticated <laughs> uh, in a metadata like cup. So, cheers. Happy Friday. Cheers. Thank you very much for joining me for this one. Let's see. Uh, Ilya, I know you a few months now because you invested. Uh, you're an investor in, in, in Metadata and the founder of Segment. And those two things are uh, a dream that uh, they happen in the same reality. Do you want to maybe introduce yourself kind of uh, briefly? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Ilya. I'm one of the co-founders of Segment. Um, back-end engineer, uh, you know, studied at MIT with my other co-founder, Calvin, uh, and met my other co-founder, Peter, uh, who was studying aeronautical engineering at the time. We were actually walking around MIT, like the dorms, and I just remember like there was these kids wearing capes and costumes and I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to make any friends here. And then, you know, I walk, <laughs> open the door uh, into one of the like dorms that I'm looking at and there's like, you know, these like two uh, shrimpy, you know, kids from Seattle that, that know each other and that are talking and I'm like, oh, thank God, you know, some, some normals. Uh, so I uh, started hanging out with them. We decided to triple together. Um, they were not abnormals. You, you were the abnormals, right? <laughs> they were the abnormals. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so the three of us uh, decided to look together and, uh, you know, we, uh, yeah, we did the computer science thing and then junior year, we learned about startups, got super into startups, failed for about two and a half years and then just barely with like, you know, $50,000 left in the bank, came up with Segment, the idea, and then it took off and we're a 600-person company now uh, based in San Francisco. So things are, things are going well. That's amazing, man. Congrats on that. That's a great story. Nicholas, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and about Chili Piper? Yes, of course. Uh, as you can tell from my uh, gray hair, I've uh, done a few more things before. I'm not out of the dorm of MIT. I grew up in Marseille in South of France. Just wanted to travel the world. So I moved to college in Paris. I went to Ecole Polytechnique when I did math and computer science. Then I went to London to do consulting. And then I thought I want to go to Hong Kong. And uh, the way it happened is that... Uh, I applied for a bunch of jobs in Hong Kong. I couldn't get a job. Nobody says, who the hell are you? So I thought, you know what? I'm going to get an MBA. So an MBA will get me there. So Always a great to, idea. I applied. They said no. Uh, I applied again. They said no again. And finally, <laughs> so I'm persistent. Third time, Stanford said, okay. So I moved to Stanford thinking, you know, it's going to be awesome. Two years in California. And then I moved on to Asia. It was the mid-90s, and um, two things happened. Uh, the first one is that three weeks into it, uh, my classmate, uh, Steve Jarvertson, who is now famous from uh, multiple investments, including um, uh, Elon Musk's company, 
invited Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs came, sat on the floor and uh, started complaining. At the time, he was running a company called Next. And the joke was that he was going next to nowhere, right? Because it really wasn't working. And yet, it was so inspiring. The guy is in the floor and he says, so this is what they did at Apple. And at Next, we're reinventing the company. And this is so damn cool. This guy is just as an idea, reinvent the world. And then everybody, that's millions of people doing it. And that day I thought, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to stay here and, and become like him <laughs> or some version of him. <laughs> so I stayed, I stayed in Silicon Valley. And, and ironically, I did my first startup with the very guy we fired Steve Jobs. So my partner in my first startup was uh, John Scully. Yeah. It just happened that way. I, I partnered with him. I did the first company. We grew it to uh, 11 million with consumer software. And then I thought, I'm the only one in San Francisco right now not doing internet. Literally, I was the only one in San Francisco not doing internet. It was unbelievable. We go have dinner and say, I just made $500,000. How do you make? Oh, GeoCity sold to Yahoo. I was an early investor, uh, you know, and it wasn't, it was much bigger amounts. So I go, friends say, get a job at some search company. Amazon buys them for $40 million. You make $3 million. So I figure I'm in the wrong business. You know, here I am building revenues on this consumer software. So I quit and I did an internet company and it worked out beautifully almost. The beautifully that I got an offer, uh, about a year into it for $65 million and I had three quarters of the company. And uh, the almost is that the deal didn't close. <laughs> And then there was a dot bomb, as you may have heard about, and, uh, and everything collapsed. And in the end, it, it struggled to sell to Microsoft. So then I did another company in biometrics that worked well. And then I thought that be, I should become a VC because I thought that, that's what entrepreneurs do when they grow up. Look, I heard that Ilya invested, right? So that's kind of what you think you do now. <laughs> so I let the other ones do the work. I just get my money to work for me. Uh, and that wasn't for me. So that's the background. Then I did different things. And, and a few years back, I helped a friend of mine run a sales team for a telecom company. It was a, a big telecom company, uh, actually a small with a lot of funding. We uh, encountered a species called uh, inbound SDRs. So actually, I'm glad Ilya is here because uh, segment is part of the story. So we said, what is your job, you of an inbound SDR? And I said, uh, well, so some people come to a website. Marketing spends a lot of money to bring the website. They submit a form that they're interested in having a meeting. And my job is to call them and schedule a meeting. All right, that's the job. And, and how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm converting at 40%. People tell me, we're doing awesome. We're converting at 40%. So I say, you mean to tell me that 100 people asked for a meeting and 60 of them didn't get it? But that's for some reason that seems acceptable because they were comparing to outbound where, where 98 people don't get the meeting, right? You get 2% conversion rates. So we thought we we're going to fix that problem. And that's why we decided we're going to change the way inbound is done. And we're going to build an application that upon form submission in real time qualifies route and book meetings. And ironically, the first person to bite was uh, Guillaume when he was at Segment. Guillaume Cabal. The companies were believing in them, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so he said, I don't need you because I can do my own uh, routing. And then I have a Calendly link. And I said, well, can you uh, do that in real time to the right rep and bring the right calendar? He said, uh, no. I said, all right, let's try it. And Guillaume said, okay, Segment style, all data-driven, A-B test. Summer 2017. Half the traffic at segment is going a uh, traditional <laughs> way. Half the traffic is going through our, uh, what we call our concierge, the concierge for the website. Guillaume left, but the result came and it was 71% increase in conversion rates. So that got us in business. And then we started rethinking about all the processes on the inbound. 
Amazing. and how we can improve that and that's where we are now that's a beautiful story and you know i funny because i actually know part of that story from guillaume i'm sure he tells it differently right? i'm sure he said that uh, he called me to uh, do it because uh, he thought of it or i don't know uh we all know the story no <laughs> no it's cool different views on what happened yeah, <laughs> yeah it is I'm, interesting to hear it from the same side it, it's it's cool because guillaume uh he's just such an amazing like multiplicative force in marketing technology like i feel I feel like I've heard many variants of the story. Like we even have another one at Segment. So um, Guillaume was working at Segment as the VP of growth in 2016. And, uh, you know, he was, he was running the growth team. I was doing something else. Um, and it, it was a hackathon. And so uh, he was like busily working at some whiteboards. So I, I sat down next to him and I asked him, like, what are you working on? He's like, well, I'm struggling because I don't have a database of I, I, basically there's users doing stuff. But it turns out that you have to group them under accounts. And if you group them under accounts, the more like users in a specific account are doing something, the higher their intent score. And the higher the intent score, the more like the differently that we want to do marketing towards them. And there's no easy database that can do this kind of like user account grouping. And so from that, I was like, oh, I can help with that. Like I'm an engineer. Right? So that hackathon, we built like a, a very simple thing that takes the segment data and takes users, combines them into accounts, and then gives you an intent score. And literally a year and a half later, that became the personas product of segment. Which is now basically like a, a quarter of, of our revenue, which is insane. Uh, so it's just Amazing. like these, you know, these ideas how many that- products behind Guillaume <laughs> Caban's uh, collaborations? Yeah, right, Gentlemen, before we continue anything else, I would like to ask you to pour more drink and have another cheer with me. Yeah! And then we're going to go into the category creation podcast because we do want to talk a little bit about category creation. You both did create categories. Cheers. Okay. I would love to hear from um, maybe Ilya, maybe we can start. I remember when I talked to you about it uh, earlier this week for the podcast, you mentioned a little bit about the story of changing a product or updating a product while you know while a new category is being created. So let's not fast forward too fast. But my question to you, what was the moment when you decided segment is going to be a different category? I'm going to work on shifting us. When was that moment and how did that look like? So Segment, the entire existence had a very different sales cycle than anything else in MarTech. There's kind of very clear categories in marketing technology, right? There's, um, you start a product, you add an, a product analytics tool, a web analytics tool, A-B testing tool, a marketing automation tool. Um, and there's like 12 or 13 of these standard categories that people get. And there's always like new, you know, every two or three years there's a new player, like in data warehousing, you know, there's, Redshift, then there was BigQuery, now it's Snowflake. So like every two, three, two or three years, a new, a new uh, entrant comes in. And then we would come into a company and we'd say, look, it turns out that you're actually switching these tools every two or three years based off of a new entrant that comes in or when you hire a new person. And so we said that instead of using these tools in the specific categories, because they switch so frequently, Instead, you should have a, a lower infrastructure layer that would be able to hold your data and give you faster agility as new people would come in. So all of that, all of that turned out to be true. But you still have to create a new budget area for, for this type of thing. And people didn't, didn't have that in 2013. So all of our customers were like, you know, YC startups. And then eventually it was, you know, a slightly larger company, a larger company. And eventually we're selling to, you know, Fox and Nike and uh, these, these, these much larger uh, companies. And so over time, a category started being created, which is uh, which turned out to be customer data platform. What's weird about customer data platform is that it started basically picking up the actual subcategories that it should really power, but not be. 
some analysts thought that the customer data platform should have an analytics piece to it. Some of them thought it should have an email piece to it. And we're like, no, 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 no. It shouldn't have analytics and email built into it because there's an entire category, right? That, that is specifically targets to, to, toward that. Around like 2016, we, we said, you know, we're going to be customer data infrastructure. We're not going to be customer data platform because customer data platform is going in the direction of becoming a suite. And we think suites are bad in MarTech. We'd rather have just an infrastructure layer with a bunch of, you know, best in class tools on top of it. It turned out that CDP actually was fairly malleable in that the people buying CDP and analysts that were, that were thinking about CDP weren't sure what CDP was. We actually had the largest user base of what CDP would become um, as, as the company that started this. So you're so, creating a category <laughs> and yeah, then the characteristics for that category did not include you and included some characteristics, some attributes you don't even want. Yeah, exactly. And so, so you do? we called ourselves customer data infrastructure. But what, what was funny about that was that the market didn't listen to us. They would call us and our salespeople would try to explain to them, we're a customer data infrastructure and here's why it's different. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you do all the stuff that a customer data platform does and what we need. So we're just going to keep considering you. Two years ago, we were like, why are we creating a headwind for ourselves? When we can have a tailwind instead. So uh, we decided to just be customer data platform adopted and kind of just shape the industry through our, through our customer use cases. And so that's where we're at now. And it's definitely much simpler, let's say. So uh, it's definitely what I would recommend to, to listeners. It's an amazing yeah. story, Ilya, because uh, you would think that probably uh, customer data platform, the key part is the... Uh, warehouse or data lake and uh, analytics, but uh, you've been able to make this little piece of it and you're the center of it. My exactly. marketing team uh, a month ago came to me and said, we need a customer data platform. And, the, and we, at Chili Pepper, we always write decision memos. Whenever the decisions to be made, we write the decision memo. So they wrote the memo and segment was all over it. You know, <laughs> it's, like, it's like it was synonymous with, with, with the customer data platform. And there was this little thing that somewhere in the end, so oh, maybe we should have Redshift or Snowflake, like a, a, the unimportant piece, like the important piece is that there was segment in the middle. You've really managed all the, the mind share around your products for, for this new category. Yeah, super appreciate that. I think a big piece of it is like helping and educating customers about what the category means and what are the tools that you have to add on top of a customer data platform and having recommendations and stuff like that. So, so like the advisory role is something that our, our you know, sales and support people have to really take on. You know, you, you brought up something very interesting, Nicholas, which is that your team basically had a synonym of CDP and segment at the same time. Like whenever they would mention CDP, it yeah. was, it, they really meant segment. What was that moment that you felt like you achieved? Because you also created a category, Chili Pepe. You know, it's very, very familiar. In you can go with the, the historical uh, functionality, which is scheduling, and then all the way to the qualifying, removing the forms, doing the whole. You know, in the customer journey, getting you know halfway into into the customer journey, all the way to the AE, starting an opportunity. Yeah. So uh, me, it's the opposite of India, actually. <laughs> Uh, it's like uh, it, the, the category was already there. He just had to come and own it. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a bit delusional. The, the uh, Frankly, the moment when we finished this A-B test with Segment and Guillaume, uh, Guillaume left, but the A-B test was still there. I thought, this is amazing. This is a new category. That, that immediately, I thought, okay, we've invented a new category because nobody can continue doing inbound the old way where the new way um, converse. So it was plus, it, yes, it was plus sixty-one percent, but in everybody, everywhere else is, is plus hundred percent. So I just thought everybody's going to sign a budget and have a new way to do things, and and uh, you know, and in our space, uh, or 
connected space, the, um, the sales engagement and where uh, sales loft and outreach, uh, uh, you know, are leading that, that category. And I saw how they did it. They came in with a new, I call it a form factor, which is a different way to meet the goal. What people forget that, that before sales loft and outreach became successful, there was uh, two companies called Tartap and Yesware. Yeah, At the yeah. time where, where superheroes, people loved them, especially Tartap, right? Tartap became Arcado, right? Eventually. Tartap kind of almost went under and, and got picked up by Marketo. Yeah, they got crushed. Sales of Outreach, both of them got the list of customers from Tartap and went after them and, and, and decimated uh, Tartap. And the reason why that uh, they had a better solution for the same use case, right? So use case is prospecting. Uh, Tartap had a nice template with who's opened my email. Sales of Outreach says, that's cute, but let's have a cadence to do that. And who opened my email is a little part of it. And, um, and we can have multi-touch. And, and oh, yeah. We had Manuel here talking about that. Uh, in the last podcast, exactly. They, he was mentioning how they fo- were focusing on the workflows, exactly what you just said. How, yeah. The way you perceive yeah. the differentiation is exactly the way he was pushing for it. And, yeah, uh, and, and, I, and I observe it. And frankly, I was admirative, and I still am admirative of these two companies uh, because they, they came up with a lot, a lot of faith behind their uh, new approach and, and, and educated the market and, and then took over. So when our inbound stuff happened, and for me, says uh, of are mostly uh, the proper way to do outbound, right? to do prospecting, not not anything else. So I thought, okay, we have the same thing for inbound. Uh, so we're going to—I uh, I don't know if we should—we've played around on what to call it. Uh, now it's more like inbound revenue acceleration because uh, engagement doesn't still—they've done such a good job that engagement is associated with uh, cadences. So here I am thinking, okay, great. We, uh, I remember going back to Alina uh, when I got that email from a segment saying, okay, this is it. We're going to be famous. <laughs> 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 Maybe not famous, but uh, we, we have it. This is a huge category. We, we co- we're helping people double their pipeline, uh, is, is the, uh, whatever we're going to call it. In month. And then that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Uh, people didn't pick up on it. People didn't... Um, um, I, I, I'm not sure whether we did a poor job or, or whether the market wasn't ready, but, uh, but we had to convince people one after the other that the way to do things was the right thing, uh, that uh, they may have to redeploy their SDRs and so on. And uh, in a weird way, now it's 2020, uh, now, um, now everybody seems to take it for granted, right? So now, now the category has come, people say, oh yeah, we use tea paper. Tea paper has become synonymous with this new way to do inbound. Right, so it's it's how you process your inbound is uh, is, is synonymous with chili pepper. We don't have a, the the same um, fortune that uh, another list has really named that category. We we hope that somebody's going to do it. Right now, we call it inbound revenue acceleration. We hope that it will stick. But there's no question that this new way of uh, assigning budget to that problem and getting chili pepper is happening. Right, so we're getting uh, we've grown. Uh, you know, substantially, we have a lot of inbound people come to us and they, they, they're they ready for that. So um, it has been a bit more laborious, I would say. But and Nicole, as you mentioned, yeah. you hope that the name is going to be, what, what did you say, inbound? What was the name? Revenue acceleration. Inbound, revenue, inbound acceleration. revenue acceleration. So, you you know, you're hoping for this to happen. What kind of process are you going through to try to define it, try to influence it, if, if at all? We are, we are, we are trying to define it. Uh, we, we, um, Publishing all sorts of articles, we're reaching out to analysts, we're publishing uh, case studies, uh, we're putting out, in effect, we're putting out a lot of content around it. And how do you measure it? So we measure uh, with the usual thing. We uh, look at our engagement of this content. We look at uh, our, our ranking on search. Uh, so people are looking for inbound and, and uh, do they find us? Do we become... Uh, 
I guess you could argue that that, that little, uh, what do you call it, that card on the Google search. One day, if somebody get to point say in modern revenue acceleration, they get the chili ah, pepper definition I of see, it. That, that would be the day where we've made it. But we're not there yet. When and I sometimes Wikipedia. Maybe yeah. you want to pay some consultant to do your Wikipedia page. Ilya, tell us about the moment where you were, I don't know, home or in the office and you saw some piece of news or an email and you said, shit, I think we are in the category. I think we're like leading this fucking category. So I don't know if we had a, we had a singular moment. We, we created customer data infrastructure before the word customer data platform was, was said. Um, and then I think uh, customer data platform came out uh, in various forms that I saw. There's the CDP Institute. Um, and that came out way before there was a uh, category in like Gartner and Forrester and uh, kind of in the standard analysts. It trickled, you know, it's like, oh, someone's calling this something like us customer data platform when we were calling ourselves customer data infrastructure. So it's all, it's like some, you know, some player in the, in the category starts saying some word and then someone else starts saying another word and then people pick their favorite word. And then, you know, once enough people say it in the media and in the, um, uh, you know, like specialty publications in the industry, then eventually the favorite word. Were you tracking it? Were you tracking like on Google alerts? Like I remember when, um, I think it was Nick Meta that was mentioning that customer success became such a, you know, the trend yeah. went up so much for that. And SDR is probably the same, uh, maybe for Nicholas or maybe for, for Manny from Outreach. Do you have a, something that you tracked that you, you know, you, you met your, your KPI or your goal or maybe, you know, exceeded it? So uh, I think we actually got that capability fairly recently uh, where there's actually, there's firms that will go out and they'll, they'll ask companies like, have you heard of customer data platform? Uh, if so, what is it? And if you're looking for one, like what are the vendors that you've considered? And then they'll basically mark, they'll make a sheet and a bar graph and they'll mark like, you know, people will say like, oh yeah, segment. I don't know any other ones. And they'll say like, you know, oh, segments, and I heard Salesforce and Adobe are doing something as well, right? And then they can rank them in terms of strength. Um, I think I saw that for the first time like two years ago, and it just completely blew my mind because I had no idea that type of thing existed. But yeah, we do that every year now, and we have a, uh, a brand team that's one of their KPIs is basically increasing brand awareness because it's apparently measurable in that way. So it's super Where, cool. where were the other companies in your space uh, that were using similar terms around what you do? There's a lot of them. So we had a few direct competitors and Particle, then there's the tag managers uh, like Telium and Insighton that they were completely tag managers, but then they pivoted to basically call themselves a customer data platform. And then there's also like tools that email marketing tools that wanted kind of a larger piece of the pie and they, without really changing their products that are calling themselves customer data platform. So Wait, who, who are you referring to? I'd rather not say, <laughs> but <laughs> basically it just like becomes like this mass, basically clusterfuck where like everyone's yes. customer we data see that platform. In, yeah. <laughs> it's happening in a few categories, let me tell you. That's interesting. So what about you, Gil? What about your category? We were talking oh about, my God. Uh, can we, can, are we allowed to ask you questions? Oh, you, you're allowed to ask <laughs> anything you want. Yeah, because I was telling you uh, earlier, uh, when our marketing team uh, recommended we, we buy uh, metadata, they put you in the same category of uh, account-based marketing. But to me, it looks like your capabilities are so different from what the other guys do that, that, that look, I'm all for buying metadata because it makes sense to me. As for the other ones, I'm a lot less sure. So how, how did you get bundled? Are you happy with that bundle in this category? Or do you want to create a new one? Uh, First of all, so, uh, full disclaimer, I did not pay you to ask this question so perfectly, like to, pick, to build me this segue where I can explain exactly the difference. Uh, if uh, you want to pay me, I'm okay also. <laughs> it's just that bottle of wine. If you didn't get it for free, <laughs> then we did something wrong. <laughs> this is it. Like, this is how it, it happened. Uh, 
I, you know, I started metadata because I was a frustrated marketer. I was a software engineer that clearly saw that this can be solved. The whole, let's build a predictable inbound using a very particular list of target accounts that we're using. That particular use case was, was clear and it worked. And when I started metadata, I wanted to just automate it. I understand it works, but I didn't want to do the work to constantly make it uh, produce results. That's why I started metadata. And you're right that what we did as a company, because we're a startup, we needed to exist. You said it, Ilya said it, you're just surviving in the first few years. And so we looked at companies like Terminus and Demandbase and Engageo, and they spent so much money on this thing called e-commerce marketing. And they told everyone it's the most important thing to do. So we said, great, it is very important to do. Let's jump on that particular education bandwagon. It's already happening. And we said, we're going to execute it the best. We're going to do account-based marketing in the most successful way because we're going to use this process of experimentation and you know very like accurate targeting to understand how to create that predictable outcome. That's how we got in. That's how anyone even knows about us because marketers know that this tool, which belongs to this ABM category, it seems like, can generate actual pipeline. Now that's just a bandwagon. We needed to get that was our open source tag manager. For Ilya, you know that was something that works. Marketers want it; it works well. The you know we can build a business on it. And now we tell the bigger story of well, look, ABM is just one use case. Like exactly how you define it, Nicholas. That's exactly how we see it. It's just one use case that if you use experimentation and accurate targeting, works best. But you can also do sales acceleration, demand generation, brand awareness, similar you know campaigns, similar programs but use the same methodology. So we're trying to now, you know, lean into that and, and invent it, but we're trying to do it in a very delicate manner. And uh, I should thank Mark Oregon, who's my coach for, for that, which is we don't want to define or write down who we are, you know, in our words. Because what the fuck do we know? You know, we're in a small room, like talking, like executives talking to another, or we're talking to analysts. It's very limited. Like we have, it's like, a, it's like coming up with a great program in a closed room. The likelihood of the best idea to come out of it is very small, in my opinion. Much better to democratize it. And so what we did is we started running a lot of cab and analyst conversations and win-loss analysis to really understand what what customers perceive us to be. That's how we're trying to build it. So someday you may no longer be ABM, then, it sounds like. Yes, someday we know. And, and, and no it also be, especially like if companies, you, if you people like you for, said. You wish for that day to be soon, then it sounds like. You know, I'm letting this day happen. When you are asking a question like that, you say, look, I bought metadata. I thought it made sense. Didn't really understand the rest of the players that you were comparing yourself with. To me, that's, this is it. Like these are moments of proof or validation that, you know, we don't really belong there. We need to redefine it. And you're helping us do it. I, I think one of the things you said is so important, which is letting customers and the ecosystem talk for you instead of, you know, sitting in a small room trying to fight out what it should be called. I think I think that's almost like a variant of the of the mistake that we made early on. Um, I, I do think it's important to talk about the benefit of if there was a budget carve out for for something, why that would be a wise you know decision for a company to make. Uh, why they should make some space to buy, to buy that specific piece of software. And I think your general marketing can do that, but like you don't need to. It's best if you just yell what your customers are yelling instead of yelling some crazy thing you made up yourself. So, Nicholas, 
Tell me about uh, a moment in your pursuit of category dominance that was one of your biggest hashtag fails. Uh, it's funny you ask this question because I have, I have a beautiful one. So when we started, as I said, immediately I thought uh, this product is going to be a category because uh, it's, it's just a new way to, to do something uh, very important better. And we thought of it and we said, what is it different when it's chili pepper? And he said, well, it's a much better uh, buyer experience. Right? Because the buyer comes, so think before Chili Piper, the buyer comes, submit a form, say, thank you, somebody's going to call you. And then they well, I wonder who's going to call me and when, right? And, and you have no idea and it may or may not happen. So now the buyer submits a form and in real time, he's serve a calendar, now even phones, we can even connect by phone and, and he gets satisfaction in real time. So we say it's all about buyer experience. So we went to companies and we marketed around buyer experience. And we call ourselves a buyer enablement company. And we say the category we're enabling is buyer enablement. And we went buyer enablement, buyer enablement. And nobody gave a shit. Nobody gave a shit. It was unbelievable. We'd go to company and say, we're going to get a better buyer experience. I say, uh, the SEO was like, do I get more money from that? Boxing, do I get more leads for that? Say, nobody gave a shit. The buyer enablement say, oh, you guys are buyer enablement. What the hell is that? It took a long time for us to give up buyer enablement because it seems so right intellectually. And yet it's so wrong when marketing wise <laughs> uh, that's painful how long did it take you to, to a couple to of years a couple of years for a couple of years we stuck with buyer and because you know you have to care about your buyer you want to give them a, a good experience but the truth is that nobody cares about the good experience of their buyers <laughs> and i tell you the truth now that i think of it if you tell me nicola you can give your buyer a good experience and get x or give them a shitty experience and get 2x in revenues you know, I'll go to X, right? <laughs> you know, they'll forgive me. <laughs> they'll forgive me for the shitty experience if they give me two times the revenues. So anyway, that's that's what happened. We hired a CMO and he said, uh, how about we, uh, we drop that by your enablement shit? Nice. <laughs> nice. You sound to me like a wise man. <laughs> that's a great, that is, that is a great story. What about, uh, what about yours, Ilya? Tell us about your hashtag fail moment. <laughs> I think I think we once called it an analytics abstraction layer, uh, which was just the worst name ever. When we were just like abstraction, analytics abstraction layer. When we we're like we're selling to developers and they love abstractions. This is like maybe like you know ten days into into the entire project. But yeah, that's <laughs> pretty. That's bad. an awesome. That's an awesome <laughs> one. <laughs> was there any like any anything <laughs> since you since you're a bigger company? You got to give us a much juicier story. Like, <laughs> was there no time where you basically like you know, your heart went, uh, you know, went up, you did not sleep at night, you said, shit, I think we fucked up with this one. I think it's the customer data infrastructure story. I think like we basically, like imagine you have 30 sales reps that are like trying to convince people that we're not a CDP, that we're a CDI. And they're like, what's the difference? We're like, it's, it's a technical thing, you know? <laughs> it's, <laughs> that's a pretty big and probably pretty costly, uh, whatever, fail. So, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Correct, that's the right thing to do, yeah. You must have gotten some fire from that. So <laughs> fair, fair enough. Nicholas and Ilya, tell us one secret, you know, really a secret, not like a fake secret that I can Google and find in any VC or entrepreneur blog. A true secret that got you to where you are, that got you a big progress in category creation, in mass adoption, in creating a synonym between you and Inba, between you and, and CDP. Tell us a secret. Well, for us, it's been probably open source since the very beginning. We would spend the day coding segment and then we would take some of the work that we created and we would put it on GitHub as open source. And 
we at one point, uh, there's like these GitHub rankings. I remember like 2015, 2016, there's like three or four companies in the entire world that had more open source than segment. Like we were like number four or five. My co-founders, Calvin and Ian, they deeply believed that basically if we had open source as kind of a core tenant to segment that we would be able to access a new and improved level of talent that wasn't engineering talent that wouldn't be available to companies of our size. And, you know, it's like, it was, it was a lot of effort. Uh, we did it. And then, you know, three or four years later, I would be going interviewing engineers and they would be like, you know, I've, I've known for segment all the time. Like, I don't even know what you guys do, but I've always known I wanted to work for you. And it's like, wow, really? What? <laughs> right. Like, you want to work in an analytics company, right? And they're like, yeah, we do. You know, we, we've been like following everything you guys are doing. And so I think uh, open source is just like this huge lever that allowed us to access a better level of engineer, which allowed us to build better infrastructure and deliver a better product to, to customers. So that's kind of been one of our one of our big secrets. So you captured the hearts and minds of your, of this like really good unicorn talent. How many times did this happen to you when you realized that this was it, a, big, a big factor? It's like, it's, it's maybe like 50 or 60% of engineers now that come into our interview rooms or like we've known about segment for a long time. And now it's easier because the company's larger, but like, you know, three or four years ago, it's like, uh, you know, some of the best like SREs from, you know, uh, like Google and stuff like normally we, companies in MarTech would not be able to access these people. And, you know, we were able to, so it's really cool. That is very cool. That's a big insight. Thank you for that. Nicholas, what about you? Uh, I'm going to give you two a secret and an anti-secret. The secret, something we did on purpose, is that uh, when we launched, we, uh, and it was mostly, you know, we bootstrapped, so we didn't have resources. So it was mostly me uh, uh, doing the sales and, and Alina doing customer success. And we immediately went for companies that were the influencers of the company. So there's a, there's a reason why I went after Guillaume Caban is because he, he's a very, uh, he's very good at his own publicity, right? I think we can all see that. <laughs> so I thought this guy is everywhere. If I get him to do, and he was our first uh, customer for Inbound Solution. If I can get him to do it, he's going to tell everybody and we're going to be, right. uh, we're going to be everywhere. And that's exactly what happened. He went to, he switched company, went to, uh, other companies. He told everybody and, and we purposely went after these companies where there's somebody who's, who's really well respected, uh, who's going to tell the world. So that was all amplifying, uh, way to, to, to do business that's, that's, that's played tremendously well. Because, so recently, for example, I got, uh, I was very keen on getting sales of an outreach on Chili Pepper very early on, right? And we did. Eventually, outreach left, but sales of is still a customer for that very reason. These people were influential. We want them on our platform. So that's the way we did really well. Uh, my anti-secret is not a failure, but it's something that is working really well, but it was not by design. I mentioned earlier that we have this view of the world as together. That's where people from every country. And we went to Ibiza and we showed all these photos of people partying in Ibiza. And people also, well, that was genius. It was such a smart idea to take people Ibiza. And uh, the reality is that uh, that's not at all what happened. Um, I had on my to-do list in my life, the idea of doing the clothing of the Pasha Club in Ibiza. <laughs> and, and I told Alina, uh, Alina, Alina, I want to do the clothing of the Pasha. And she said, well, we can do that. We're very busy. And, and the whole company, where will this work? And I said, but how about I take everybody with me? And she said, okay, let's take everybody with us. And so we took everybody with us because I wanted to do the clothing of the Pasha. And everyone said, well, that was so smart to do a, a company trip in Ibiza. <laughs> you know? That is better. Uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's, that's the same thing. That's the way you do a company chef. You do a, a lot of, you see that a lot. You do something that, that you think is good for you and most people will, will share with you, will agree with you. 
I'm sure many people are very proud to say they closed the, the Pasha Club in Ibiza. And some people think about closing the, the trade day or IPO. You crushed it there with the Pasha and 60 other people. Did you have 60 people doing that with you? No, at the time the we had 32, 32 people. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah. A company offsite in Ibiza. I don't think that yeah, takes a cake. Incredible. incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the VIP table with uh, Dom Perignon all over. Uh, you know, it, it was... It was uh, and just because uh, it was one of the things that uh, I think people should experience in life. Nicholas, tell us something about you that you do not share usually. Okay, uh, I'll say something I don't share usually, but uh, if you pay attention to uh, what we do, you'll notice. I have this big belief that we all uh, brothers and sisters all over the world. So we're all citizens of the world. So, you know, I pay uh, on my payroll tax in Brooklyn, I, I pay some money for uh, unemployment. And I always think, uh, why would I pay unemployment for New York State? I care as much as somebody in Lebanon or in Slovakia who's unemployed. And you know, But why does this budget only go to the local thing? So uh, I've got this vision that it doesn't make sense. And that we, we should all, if, if we're going to contribute to unemployment, it should be worldwide. Right? And, and so at Chili Piper, we went with, I mean, so on a micro level to that belief where we hire people everywhere in the world. So we are 60 people like, in 55 cities in 20 countries. Nice. And, uh, and we all part of the same team. We all uh, belong. And, and when we get together, last year we got together in Ibiza and got all these people together. It was just unbelievable. You know, people, uh, we, a Bulgarian software developer making friend with uh, an account executive from Denver, you know, this kind of. That's beautiful. Thing. So it's, it's actually uh, the hidden uh, agenda, Chili Piper, to, to, to teach world the world. Peace. Yes. So and you're a hippie. World, you world want brotherhood. Yeah, I'm a hippie. Yeah, I don't have my peace and love t-shirt, but uh, I'll, I'll show it next time. It's beautiful. Thanks, God, for people like you. Uh, what about you, Ilya? Tell us something about you that, you that no one else knows. I don't think you're a hippie. Maybe more of a hipster based on the kombucha. <laughs> uh, well, I have a very eccentric musical taste. I can tell you about that. You know, I used to code a lot, and uh, I, I like music that pumps me up and, you know, can keep me coding late into the night. And so there's this artist called Andrew W.K. He is uh, my favorite of all time. But if you know him, you're, you're instantly going to think I'm crazy. Um, but he you know, has a very inspirational message. And there's this really amazing um, conspiracy about him where people think that he, he's been around for 20 years, but people think that he's actually just a role being played by various people. Meaning like if you go to one of his concerts and you go to another, it might not actually be the same person playing. And what I think is basically that he, at the beginning of his career, wanted to create a role like that and convince people that he's not himself, but there's only actually one person. But he created the conspiracy ahead of time just as like a, um, a mind experiment. Uh, to mess with people. So there's basically like investigative reports on this guy. Like he's not super popular, but if you read about it, if you have 10 hours to read about it, you really enjoy yourself. <laughs> very interesting. All right. Gentlemen, thank you very much for the time today. I really enjoyed talking to you today. Thanks Same a lot. Here. We Same learned here. a lot. Thanks have a wonderful weekend. You See you later. Yeah. Until the next time. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed today's discussion and will tune in again. Find all of the B2B Category Creators episodes at metadata.io. And if you have any feedback, topics, or would like to be a guest on the show, please reach out.